In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. As we've been studying the book on the incarnation uh, of St. Athanasius the Apostolic during the month of Kiyak, God willing, today we're going to continue studying the next section. Um, so as we know, the month of Kiyak is four Sundays, and each of the Sundays we are reading part of Luke chapter 1, which discusses all the events leading up to the birth of Christ, which of course we celebrate in the Feast of the Nativity. The first week we spoke about the Annunciation of St. John the Baptist um, to his parents Zacharias and Elizabeth. The second week, last week, which was the Annunciation of Christ to St. Mary. Um, today we read about when St. Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth after hearing of her pregnancy to take care of her. And then, God willing, next week we will read the birth of St. John the Baptist and ultimately in preparation for the Nativity, which is the birth of Christ. So, as we said, this book on, on the Incarnation is a very beautiful essay written by St. Athanasius the Apostolic to explain and to defend the Incarnation of Christ, why it was necessary, and what are the characteristics of the Incarnation. So, God willing, today we're going to speak about the next section, which is chapter 6 um, of, of the essay, um, which is the refutation of the Jews. Um, so, in this chapter, St. Athanasius, he focuses on responding to the various Jewish claims that are uh, against the idea of the Incarnation. Of course, we know the Jews did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, uh, and so here, uh, St. Athanasius is responding to some of their claims um, against uh, this belief and speaking about why is it that salvation had to come through him um, and through uh, the, the, the incarnation of Christ. He focuses a lot on Old Testament prophecies and showing how the Lord Christ fulfills the prophecies. We see actually in the scripture how the different writings um, by the different authors um, differ based on the audience. So for instance, whenever there is a writing for the Jews, the focus is so much on these Old Testament prophecies because the Jews accepted the Old Testament. This was their scripture that they believed and they believed in all these prophecies. So the idea of going to these prophecies and showing how the Lord Christ fulfills all the prophecies, this is something that was very um, important to them. So what are some of the prophecies? Of course, there's many, many, many prophecies, but just uh, very briefly, one of the prophecies speaking about uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 7, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, this is the, the name of Christ, that he is called Emmanuel. Um, he was born from a virgin. In uh, Numbers 24, 17, it says, A star shall come up out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, uh, and, and batter the brow of Moab. He continues with all of these different uh, quotes and prophecies. He speaks about how he was led as a, a lamb to the slaughter, speaking about his crucifixion. And if we look in the Old Testament, we find that Christ fulfills approximately 300 uh, different prophecies that we would find um, in the Old Testament. And so St. Athanasius, after listing many of these prophecies, he says, who else can these prophecies refer to? Who else fulfills all of these different prophecies? So he says here, this is a bit lengthy, but I will read it for you. It says, for example, which of the righteous men and holy prophets and patriarchs of whom the divine scriptures tell ever had his bodily birth from a virgin only? Saying, who else was born from a virgin? Was there anyone else? that was born from a virgin, was not Abel born of, of Adam, Enoch of Jared, Noah of Lamech, Abraham of Terah, Isaac of Abraham, and Jacob of Isaac. Like all of these famous figures, the patriarchs of the Old Testament, the ones that the Jews believe in, they said, who of these fulfilled any of these prophecies of being born from a virgin? None of them. 
So who is he that is born of a virgin only, that sign of which the Prophet makes so much? Again, which of all those people had his birth announced to the world by a star in the heavens? Also, this was prophesied. When Moses was born, his parents hid him. David was unknown even in his own neighborhood, so that mighty Samuel himself was ignorant of his existence and asked whether Jesse had yet another son. All of these, again, famous people do not fulfill this prophecy. Abraham, again, became known to his neighbors as a great man only after his birth. But with Christ, it was otherwise. The witness to his birth was not man, but a star shining in the heavens whence he was coming down. Again, the scripture tell of anyone who was pierced in his hands and feet. So speaking now about his, about his crucifixion. Does it speak of anyone being pierced in his hands and feet or hung upon a tree at all? And by means of a cross perfected his sacrifice for the salvation of all. So he goes on, of course, it's much longer, but he, this is just to give you a taste and a flavor of what he's referring to. He goes through some of these major prophecies and he goes through all these different characters that we know of from the Old Testament and say, who else is able to fulfill? Who else has fulfilled any of these things? In more modern times, um, there was uh, a, a professor uh, who um, he did a calculation. <clears throat> um, his name was, uh, I don't have his name, a professor at Westmont College um, who calculated the probability that one man was able to fulfill the majority of all of these, uh, sorry, to fulfill all of the major prophecies concerning the Messiah. So he did this study. He says, if we look at all of the prophecies concerning the Messiah in the Old Testament, what is the probability that one person could fulfill all these things? The estimates, they were worked out by 12 different classes. So he, 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 he had his students participate in this study that he did. Um, and so it was about 600 university students that all participated in this study. The students um, carefully weighed all the factors, discussed each prophecy at length, <clears throat> and examined the various circumstances which might indicate that men had conspired together to fulfill a particular prophecy. So, so if they considered that there would be a prophecy <clears throat> that maybe uh, like it, it was easy for someone to fabricate a conspiracy about it, they consider all of these different factors. They made their estimates conservative enough so that there was finally unanimous agreement even among the most skeptical students. And he submitted the figures for review to a committee for the American Scientific Affiliation. So this study was actually published um, in a scientific magazine. Upon examination, they verified his calculations were dependable and accurate. For example, concerning Micah 5.2, where it states the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the professor and his students determined the average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah to the present. Then they divided it by the average population of the earth during the same time period. They concluded that the chance of one man being born in Bethlehem was 1 in 300,000 based on just the population alone. After examining only eight different prophecies, they conservatively estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies was 10 to the 17. One in 10 to the 17. So that's one with 17 zeros behind it. And that was the probability of just, one, of just eight of the prophecies. There are 300 of them that, that are fulfilled by Christ. And if you take only eight of them, the probability that one man would fulfill those eight is 1 in 10 to the 17th. So, of course, it's very, very, very unlikely. It's impossible that there would be just by random chance a person who comes and fulfills all of these prophecies of the Old Testament. But the prophecies of the Messiah were not the only prophecies. There were other prophecies that were prophesied in the Old Testament that are also fulfilled. 
Um, for instance, this famous prophecy in Isaiah chapter 19 that speaks about how the, there will be an altar in the midst of the land of Egypt. It says this, In the day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border, and it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts and the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and will make sacrifice and offering. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. So again, Christ is the one who fulfilled this prophecy, and we know, of course, the altar in the midst of the land of Egypt is the Coptic church, because this altar that is being referred to here could not be the Old Testament altar. It could not be the altar that was used by the Old Testament priesthood because that altar was only in Jerusalem. So for there to be an altar in the midst of the land of Egypt, which was a Gentile nation, um, a pagan nation, right? It has to be referring to the New Testament altar. Also in chapter 6, he says, For at no other time have the Egyptians ceased from their false worship, save when the Lord of all, riding as on a cloud, came down here in the body and brought the error of idols to nothing and won over everybody to himself through himself to the Father. This cloud that is being referred to here is a representation of St. Mary. So the Lord riding on a cloud is when he came with St. Mary. Um, and actually, this is also the Holy Family when they all came to visit Egypt and they went and visited many of the um, pagan temples and many places in Egypt. And actually, at the presence of the Lord, all of, those all of those pagan temples, they crumbled. They fell and toppled down. And actually, many of the, of the ruined temples that you would see if you would go to Egypt now and travel in Upper Egypt and different places, and you'd see all of these ruined pagan temples. The reason that they were ruined is because when the Holy Family came into Egypt and the Lord went to walk around in all these different places, at the presence of the, of the Lord, all of these temples collapsed. So he's saying this: there is no other time that the Egyptians ceased from their false worship because actually even at the time of Christ, Egypt was still a pagan nation, but then later on they converted to Christianity. He concludes by saying this. He says, Jews are afflicted like some demented person who sees the earth lit up by the sun, but denies the sun that lights it up. What does it mean? It means that all of these prophecies are clear. And if someone were to really look at them objectively, they would see, yes, see how this man, Jesus of Nazareth, has fulfilled all these prophecies. See how all these other prophecies speaking about other things, like, for instance, this one altar in the land of Egypt, also was fulfilled. The reason that the, the, the Jews did not accept this is because they were blind and they didn't want to see. As though someone is standing in the midst of like the mid middle of the day where the sun is shining and is shining on everything and yet we are denying what it is that we see because it is so clear but we do not want to believe. The Jews, they were witnesses actually to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. They could see firsthand what is it that he was doing. They could see his miracles. <clears throat> they could see his teaching. And ultimately, they saw his resurrection. And yet, instead of accepting it, instead of changing their belief because of all that they saw, they continued to deny it. And they, and they actually tried to cover it up 
Um, the Pharisees did not want people even to believe that he had been resurrected and they fabricated different stories so that the people would not believe. So in this section of the, on the incarnation, the focus is on the refutation to the Jews. How is it that he defended the idea of the incarnation to them? God willing, next time, that will be the last time, we'll speak about the refutation to the Gentiles. How, what is the defense of the incarnation? How do we convince those who are Gentiles that do not have the benefit of the Old Testament prophecy, they don't believe in those prophecies? How do we explain, how do we defend, how do we show that indeed the Lord Jesus Christ um, was incarnate um, and born of a virgin? And glory be to God forever. Amen.